If you've been around middle Georgia for a while, I have no doubt you know the name Mike Fuller, a magician. Hello, I'm Ben Sandifer, and in March of 2021, we sat down with Mike to learn more about his career of more than six decades as a magician. We used a portion of that interview on the Greatest Memories podcast, but here is that interview in its entirety on this episode of Middle Georgia Podcast. Mike, I can remember you doing magic tricks back in high school, but you started long before that, right? Seven years old, there was a show on, on television, on CBS, uh, called The Magic Land of Alakazam, starred Mark Wilson. Uh, it was Mark Wilson and his wife, Nanny Darnell, uh, and they had Rebo the Clown. And Rebo the Clown was Bev Bergeron, who was actually a, I won't say a better magician than, than Mark Wilson, but, but he was just, um, I mean, they were both just very talented magicians. Mark was actually the, the, uh, the business man out of the out of the deal he's he sold his show to uh i think the first time it was to kellogg's uh and then after that it was to to pillsbury but anyway it was just a, it was a magic show that came on saturday mornings and it just fascinated me i found out i could get a book on magic at the local library and um first book i ever read that a teacher didn't make me read was a book on magic that i got over the washington memorial library now, if I remember right, we also had a trick shop back then in downtown Macon. We had Ed Wells Trick and Novelty. Every penny I could come up with used to spend down there. It was down. It was on uh, uh, Second Street, uh, just a couple of doors down from the old Capitol Theater. Yeah. So I would either I would walk downtown so I could save the quarter from riding the bus, so I could that was an extra quarter I could spend at Ed Wells Trick and Novelty. Bought a book uh, called. It was Howard Thurston's 300 Tricks You Can Do. Learned how to do every one of them. Uh, drove my sister and everybody in, you know, in the neighborhood crazy. You know, pick a card. But, but just, it, that was, yeah, that was a wonderful place. If you've ever, if you ever went in there, there was a smell, an incense smell. I still, I have some books that if you open them up now, they, they, they still have that smell because I bought them down there. You remember the first trick you ever did? Yeah, had I, I don't know what what to call it, but it was four wide wadded up paper balls uh, that appear one at a time under a hat. Of course, back then, rather than buying tricks, I had to learn sleight of hand, uh, which you know. And and nowadays, you, you know, you get some of the amateur magicians; they don't they don't go to the trouble of learning sleight of hand. They um, you know, go buy the trick or look it up on the internet and all this. And but, but, but you know, we didn't have internet and we didn't, you know, didn't have a lot of money to spend on magic. So we had to learn the sleight of hand to get an old deck of cards and you could entertain for an hour. It seems like card tricks are almost limitless. There are, and I love that. And sometimes you pull out a deck of cards to do a trick, and a kid will say, "Oh, I've seen that one," <laughs> because it's a deck of cards, and he may have seen somebody do one. They're about. 3,500 different card tricks out there. Um, same way with, you know, with rope, coins, uh, just, a, just a million of them uh, over the years. Now, do you remember when you first got paid to do a magic show? I do. I do. Um, oh, goodness. This was somebody hired me to do a magic show for their kid's birthday. Uh, the party was at Idle Hour. I did like an hour-long show. 
when I finished the, you know, the guy asked how much did he owe me, I said, well, what do you think it's worth and all? And he gave me five bucks. <laughs> From that point on, I had a set price. Mike, I would think the general public just thinks of magic as one thing. Now, you mentioned sleight of hand. There's uh, all kind of different forms of magic, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, then, you know, and, and this is the, the, we're talking about the, the, the entertainment magic. We won't get into the, the, the dark arts or anything, but, but yeah, just entertainment magic. There's sleight of hand, which is, you know, cards, coins, uh, things that use, re, you know, there are no trick props or anything like that. It's just, there's no trickery. It's, it is just sleight of hand. Uh, but then you get into, uh, you have levitations. Uh, then you have the box tricks and uh, the magicians that do illusions. Now, the difference... The difference between people ask, what's the difference between an illusionist and a magician? Well, an illusionist charges more. That's basically it. But the illusionist, you know, makes he makes the female assistant appear, disappear, levitate, and all. And so we call we call the assistants, you know, box hoppers. But but you you have yeah the illusions. There's the 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 mutilation tricks, the sawing in half, uh, the guillotines, the um, of course, then you get into you know all the the animal tricks, doves, rabbits, uh, silent acts, which are done to music, uh, and then the, and then you get into you know the the uh, mentalism uh, tricks and things like that. So they're all different types. Mike, when you learn a new trick, is there a set time that you take to rehearse it before you perform the trick? Yeah, I mean, and this is going to sound silly, but yeah, you do it until you can fool yourself with it in front of a mirror. And that's, that's the way you practice it, is in front of a mirror. Because, you know, when you're a kid and you're going to go, let me go show this to my, you know, my sister. You know, no, you better learn how to fool yourself with it first. Uh, I have a couple of tricks that I still won't do in front of an audience that I've had for 30 years because I just am not pleased uh, and yet, on the other hand, I've got a trick that uh, that took me 15 years before I was comfortable using it. And now, you know, do it at a, at a lot of shows. Once you get comfortable with it, and, and and it's it's fooling you or entertaining, you know, you, you can tell it's it's working in front of a mirror. But it does take a lot of practice. Just like any other type of performing, I guess. There is a difference, you know. I mean, you're a, you know very talented musician. You can hit a wrong note and keep going and you're still a very talented musician. If you're a magician and you mess up a trick and people see how it works, you're no longer a magician. What, in my opinion, denotes a professional magician is not the, oh, this is the latest move, this is the latest equipment, this is the latest trick or whatever. It is being able to keep going without the audience knowing that you messed up. And, you know, we were talking about doing the fair uh, each year, uh, and which I'll do. I'll do 50 shows during that fair. And in 50 shows, you're going to mess up something. But just to be able to hopefully keep going and, and uh, the audience not know you messed up. Now, Mike, what else do you remember about some of the early shows when you were a kid, maybe? First show I did was at a talent show at my grammar school, Alexander II. Uh, oh, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, one of the tricks I wanted to do was a a makeshift guillotine <laughs> that used a, a real knife from uh, from my mother's kitchen, 
Um, and the, I remember the teachers wouldn't let me do the trick since it was a real knife. But anyway, I, I did some other stuff. Now, when did you decide, this is what I want to do? 60 years ago. I mean, I have always wanted to do it. And I, you know, I've done, you know what I mean, I've done things, other things, and I've always, but I've always done the magic on the side or, uh, or whatever. And, and it was just, you know, I guess about 25 years ago, I don't know, I decided, okay, this is it. Let's, you know, I've been wanting to do it full time. Let's, let's, you know, let me do it full time. And I was, I was, uh, I had a chance to do the television show that, that, uh, at WMAZ, the magic club it came on Saturday mornings and, and, uh, and then I was doing, of course, doing the fair. And there was, at the time, there was also an agency. Believe it or not, it was a Canadian agency, but all they did was book magicians, and they had me just for the Southeast. So they were, they were keeping me busy, and that was, that, was my, that was what I was doing. Now, in 60 years, was there ever a time when you said, I've done enough of this, I just don't want to do magic anymore? That's one of those, you know, I've, I've gotten tired doing it, but I've never gotten tired of doing it, if that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I've had some, <laughs> that same agency booked me in some places that you wouldn't want to go. But, but generally, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed doing it. They, they um, can't think of ever not wanting to, to do it. It's like, you know, right now, even though I am semi-retired, it's really driving me crazy. Uh, because of the pandemic and can't get audience, live audiences um, out there. I've got a friend of mine that's a ventriloquist on cruise ships, but he's sitting in Atlanta. And I would guess things like Facebook Live and Zoom just maybe don't work as well for magic. And it's not the same. I know that I've, I've, I know there are some magicians that are doing Zoom a lot. They do a lot of corporate work and, and all, and uh, somehow they're, they're managing to do some of that, but... I've I've had to be in some Zoom meetings, which drive me crazy. Uh, so no, that's I've, I'll wait. Do you have a personal favorite trick that you do? Yes, I have, and it's called a uh, it's called a it's called a chop cup, and it's just a, a little ball and a little cup that the ball <laughs> disappears from or appears under. Uh, that's the one I told you about. It took me 15 years before I would do it for people, but since then, and it, it's one of my when I do trade shows, it's kind of like uh, it's a it's a definitely a go-to trick that uh, it's not big or anything like that, but it's uh, that's probably my probably my favorite. Now, do you have to adjust your shows uh, depending on the audience that you're in front of? Yeah, and funny you should ask that. There is a trick. Um, you remember? Harry Anderson, Night Court. Yeah, Harry and I got to be buds up in Atlanta. He had he left Hollywood and he was he really was a magician, and uh, he was going to magic conventions. So I met him up there. Well, he was fascinated because I was also a meteorologist, and uh, that fascinated him. But I loved some of the magic he did because he was a a, uh, a street performer before he got into Hollywood and and, and all. And he had a trick. It's called the Three Card Monarch, and he did a special for HBO many years ago. If you ever want to pull that up on YouTube and watch it, it's called Hello Sucker. But it's three large cards: an ace, a king, and a queen. And anyway, I've got the trick, and I love it. It's like the ace 
moves around and all, and you end up with this got a surprise ending. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you might want to see the trick. But I never get the reaction out of that trick that I that I want. And to me, it's just a fabulous trick. And you're doing sleight of hand with these huge cards and end up with a surprise ending. But other people are just kind of like, yeah, it's great. What's next? What's the most important thing about learning to do magic? I mean, is this something anybody can do? You have to have a good bit of dedication. Um, there's, there's a strong, especially as a kid, there is a strong urge to tell people how the trick worked. You know, just fooled you with this trick. Well, let me show you how it works. And, and that, that's, I think, is the hardest part of it. And you want to, you want to keep in mind that it is an entertainment and it's not entertaining once the trick is told. Have you taught other people how to do magic? Yeah, I used to teach a course at Macon Junior College years ago. We would do it during, it was a summer, summer program. The kids would, would come out and I'd teach them a few of the basic tricks and all. And, you know, I hope some of them decided to keep it up and, you know, get a book on magic and all. But it was just, you know, just some simple coin tricks and rope tricks. Now, other than the guy that you watch practice in front of the mirror, as you said, who's your favorite magician? Uh, this is one that nobody's, most people would not have heard. Currently, uh, Copperfield, of course, is one of them. David Copperfield, um, uh, one that just retired, uh, was Lance Burton, who, and these, like I said, these are people that you don't, everybody's heard of David Copperfield because he had television specials. Lance Burton had his own theater in Vegas for 10 years. Uh, but Lance Burton and the one I'm going to tell you about, Channing Pollock, who was Channing Pollock was back in the in the late '50s, early '60s, and he was on Ed Sullivan's show a couple of times, and that's he was the first Dove magician I ever saw. I mean, he did a bit with cards that appeared and doves appeared and disappeared, and the man was just I mean he was a, he looked like a he looked like a matinee idol standing there with white tie and tails, classical music playing and, and making these doves appear. And, uh, and that was just, that was when I decided, well, I wanted to do dove magic. So since then, I've had to keep up and feed several doves <laughs> that are all just sitting there idle right now. I have a rabbit that's doing nothing but getting fatter because we're not doing any shows. Now, who would you say is harder to fool, kids or adults? I always say... It, it, Kids are a whole lot harder to fool than grown-ups are. Grown-ups got all these complicated things on their mind, and kids are like little sponges. You know, they you know they look for the sim simplest things and all. I have a I used to call this the Natalia show, which was one that's already packed, and it was the perfect show for a, an audience the size of Natalia's private dining room because I a lot of businesses would get me to come there, and so it's like all right, I got a show already set up. You know, I have an illusion show that uses uh, levitation, sawing in half, uh, which I do a lot of that at the fair. The fair, if you're doing 50 shows in 10 days, you have a lot of time to not necessarily experiment, but bring out some stuff that you haven't done or that you wanted to do and you want to try it out on a live audience and all. And, and if there's one that you're working on just to get experience with, that's, that's a great place to do it. Now, Mike, I remember you bought out a magician's uh, estate, maybe, several years ago? This was 1990. A man named Ermine Kemp, who was a magician who had, had uh, was, I don't, I don't know if he was actually from Macon, he was from the middle Georgia area, 
but he had retired here. He was a traveling magician all around. Actually, he had traveled in the, the Northwest where he got a lot of shows in the wintertime because nobody else was performing and the, that kind of weather up there. But he had a lot of, just, just some of the most beautiful equipment. Uh, when he died, his, uh, I think it was his 80-something-year-old baby sister I called to see if I wanted to buy any of his equipment that was left over. Well, I went in, there were like 10 trunks of this beautiful, just just beautiful stuff, and uh, in which I ended up buying all of it. Um, and, and a lot of it were duplicates of what I had, but mine would be made of spun aluminum or, or plastic. His would be made out of stainless steel and mahogany. So it was just much, you know, much better. Plus, there was some st stuff that his, uh, his father had from the 1800s, and it was just some, and a lot of catalogs and books and, and all. It was just, yeah, tremendous. It, it, like I said, average person looks like a lot of colorful junk. But to me and other magicians, it's just this wonderful treasure. You mentioned earlier being a meteorologist. Uh, do you get people asking you if you combine the two, weather and magic? I've had a lot of people tell me when they see me pointing to something on the weather map, they, they expecting me to do a trick. You know, I make a dove appear when I'm pulling out the, you know, a low system or whatever. Everybody watches WMAZ. But I, I love it when people recognize me from the fair, you know, and, and they do because you got to look at you got a half a million people going through that thing. But but that way they're seeing me for the magic. You know, I, I mean, I love the I love the, you know, the weather also. Uh, but but I, the only reason they know me there is because I'm on that huge broadcast uh, system. Uh, whereas the other other is like, that's my that's my thing, you know, that I've done for you said 60 years. Now, you earlier mentioned the word dedication for somebody that wants to get into magic. Other than that, what advice would you have for someone that would like to do this? Go to the library and get a book. I mean, that's that's the way I did it. Uh, it was the simplest, the easiest. Uh, if you're dedicated and want to do it, that's that's the best way. And they have, <laughs> they have some books I wish they didn't have uh, on magic. <laughs> because they're very detailed about about a lot of things, uh, and and they they will show you how instead of just logging on to find out how a trick works, you know they're going to teach you how to do the trick and what to say while doing the trick and and all and and it's uh but that's that's what I would do, that's what I did. And I know from seeing a lot of your shows, Mike. And by the way, I've been seeing some of the same tricks probably since high school and haven't figured them out yet, but you inject a lot of humor into it too. A lot of things that I'll say for my own amusement, and I like to see who got it. Uh, and, and, <laughs> and, you know, and it, and it is, it's neat to see, uh, you can tell who's paying attention that way also. Uh, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just to try and make it more fun. And audience participation's a big part of it too, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and you, you know you got to do that, especially if it's you know if it's if his kids or whatever, get them up there. They 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 love to to be on stage and be a part of the magic. Now, Mike, I know you performed in a lot of big places and for a lot of uh, important people. Is there any one show like that that stands out more than others? I, I consider this one of the the biggest. I was the opening act for Roy Clark up in Hiawassee which was a treat, uh, and it's, it's kind of funny because never met him. 
<laughs> he stayed on his on his bus out back until it was time for him to go on. So I did my show and got off stage, and then he went on. So I never actually met him. I opened for Roy Clark up there, and I mean you're talking about a three thousand seat auditorium. So that was that was a treat. Those were those were fun fun shows uh, just to have audiences that big. We haven't done this in a while, but uh, I used to do shows for the Cherry Blossom. And it's been a while, but that was fun because we were doing it at the on the the the, the Grand, uh, Grand Opera House stage, which is just uh, any kind of show on that stage is 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 fun. Was that the stage where Houdini performed? Supposedly. Now, there's never been any proof. They talk about, oh, he's the one that cut the trap doors in the stage and all, and I'd I'd love to think so, and, and but but there's never been anything to really prove that. Uh, he did travel through the southeast and, and all that, but, but Houdini, when he was traveling through, was more of an escape artist and did very little magic until later in his life, and then he was only performing in the bigger cities as far as magic goes. So I have no doubt that a magician, could have been Blackstone, it could have been Howard Thurston, Harry Keller, any of those old magicians back then, that would have been more likely to have performed at the Grant and cut the trap doors. 60 years of doing this. Any thoughts of retiring, giving it up? You know, as long as people want to watch and as long as I can still get there and as long as my wonderful wife will still <laughs> help me and as long as it's still fun, I'm going to keep keep doing it as long as people keep watching. And you can follow Mike Fuller, The Magician, on Facebook. You can also find some videos on YouTube. For Middle Georgia Podcast, I'm Ben Sandifer. Productions!